1: Hello! We're just laughing for no reason here whatsoever. How are you? Have I'm, you recovered? Yeah, you know, I'm exhausted. <laughs> well, let's talk about why you're so tired, because you've been working your tush off.
2: I have. I think my am more... Uh, yeah, it's been good. I'm, uh, I'm very busy, and it's great to be busy. No, but the reason why I'm really tired is it's the morning after.
1: The morning... Explain what? The <laughs> morning after what?
2: The morning after, my husband has reached a milestone birthday. I can't believe he's 60 already. <laughs> <laughs> he's scowling. Yeah. My husband is uh, reached the big
1: four O. Oh, the big yeah. air quotes. Air quotes. Uh, do you so, remember
2: that Holly far back in the distance? No, I don't remember. Do remember Wait, let me
1: think back a couple of eons ago. Mm, nope. Don't remember at all. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, so
2: I had actually planned a whole day of complete surprises for him. Which for a long started, time, this has been under... Oh, this has been for two months I planned it. Mm-hmm. And it started at 8.30 in the morning. Now, my husband, he goes to bed late at night, yes. around 2 o'clock in the morning. Yep. And he normally wakes up around 10. He, mm-hmm. he, that's just, especially on weekends, that's mm-hmm. what he does. So he was not expecting the day 30 in the morning, three of his friends to walk into his bedroom, tell him to get up (laughs) and uh, start the birthday day. And he, I organized a whole Atlanta wide treasure hunt. Well, not treasure hunt, scavenger hunt. Scavenger. Yeah. So they had to go and find clues all around the city. And part of those clues, they sometimes had to do, or my husband had to do tasks. So one of the tasks he had to do. Okay. So I, the friends that came round, one of them was your husband. Yes. The friends that came round, they didn't know what they were going to do on the scavenger hunt. No. Nope. They were in on it, but they didn't know what the whole scavenger hunt was going to be. So first of all, they had to go and find a totally unknown statue somewhere in the middle of Atlanta, which was really difficult. And the only thing that I gave them was coordinates. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed that you they found They had to work out wow. coordinates for I where the statue that. was, and they uh-huh. had to go find it. Yeah, anyway, it was great. The next one, one of the clues was... Uh, my husband likes my husband doesn't like fish but he loves coke
1: mm-hmm.
2: in between fish and coke there is going to be something that you'll recognize so where in atlanta is fish and coke where is wh- where do you think that is based in atlanta what well, is the georgia aquarium mm-hmm. faces the coke museum so they worked out that that was where it was and in the middle of it as they walked up to towards the coke museum they s- just saw his guitar <laughs> his guitar was just <laughs> That, that was the something that he, he was gonna recognize. And what he had to do with the guitar, okay, now my husband's a great musician, and he's played Buddy Holly in the West End and all over the world, and Hank Williams and all these great musicians. And he's great doing it on stage, but you ask him to play in front of just a random group of people, and he will hate you forever.
1: I know. I heard he was less than enthusiastic so, about having to do this. That would was think. This
2: part of his task. He had to stand there in front of all the Coke security guards <laughs> and all the, the Japanese tourists waiting in line. <laughs> And he had to start, and he gave me the look of, I swear to God, I'm going to kill you right now.
1: Welcome to fighting. He was
2: pissed with me. <laughs> um, but he played, and you know, because he's such a great musician. What did he play? He played Rock This Town. Oh, yeah. Stray Cats. And he's so good. He's so good that well, everyone started like bopping and moving around. And he's giving me the eye. Like, <laughs> I
1: really, I'm going to. But people really enjoyed it. Anyway. Did, you, did, he, did anyone give him money?
2: No, nobody gave we him
1: sh- money. <laughs> We should have thought to put a hat down in front No, because Coke security,
2: because the security of the Coke museum told no. me that he's not allowed to uh, ask for money. Right. I said, he's not. He's not. He's just going to play. He's not busking. He's
1: just entertaining. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> but of course, it was Veterans Day there. Right. It was the Veterans Day parade um, right oh. outside. Yeah. But we were there before the Veterans Day parade. I made mm-hmm. sure of that. Fabulous. I got to go. Alex got to go into um, a helicopter. yeah one of the uh, army helicopters was awesome anyway throughout this alex and i were setting up all of the Mm -hmm. clues before the boys got there and so one of the clues for example he got to this place and found his friend from new york his best friend Mm -hmm. from new york who school friend we hadn't seen for a long time just standing there waiting for him he'd flown in that morning it was awesome and then the treasure at the end of the Hunt was four hours zip lining tour <laughs> up at Lake Lanier. Amazing. A huge heights, uh, eight lining tours. And I didn't realize when I set the, the whole thing up that your husband is scared <laughs> of heights.
1: <laughs> I, forgot to, I forgot too. I didn't really think about it either. So it's my fault. But you know what though? Here's the deal. You just saved him thousands of dollars in therapy because he did it. He got over it. And now he's fine. And then when he says to me, when I say, hey, we're going to go do this. Oh, I'm afraid of heights. And they'd be like, uh-uh. Not Mm-mm. so much. You did it in front of the boys because you had to. Uh, exactly. But the pictures were unbelievable. Yeah.
2: So if it, lately it was great. If you want to go zip lining, go up there. It was awesome. Wow. And um, And then after that, mm-hmm. the boys brought him back. And, of course, Ta-da! 35 other people standing on the front lawn of our house. Surprise party, friends, family.
1: We're all there. To just welcome in. now. Yeah. So here's the deal. I'm so
2: tired, though. I
1: know, right? Exhausted. Well, you don't have to do it for another 10 years again. Think about it. It's oh, nothing big until 50. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do it anymore. It was awesome, though. What a fun and thoughtful thing you did. So I hope well, you he, know what? he appreciates he's, you. Uh, he, he's
2: worth it. Aww. He is. He's worth it.
1: He's, <laughs> he's my
2: rock. And... Uh, it was great, I, I am very tired though, and of course, I had to find out how can I plan this for two months without my husband knowing right. That was hard. I felt like I was having an affair with 35 other people <laughs> <laughs> texting and deleting my texts right. so you couldn't see them. Well, That's and ask him,
1: how does it feel to know that 35 of your closest friends have lied to you, to your face, right. and kept something from you, and it's easy.
2: And it was great. And we also had one of his friends, a lovely a lovely guy, Carter Smith, who came in from Virginia, mm-hmm. and he arrived that evening and sort of came, walked through the back door, and Van looked through, this is during the party, and Van yeah. looked at him and was like,
1: <gasps> I'm seeing a ghost. Yeah, so it was great. That's awesome. Well, you need some sleep, so we'll do this fast and, you know, definitely need to rest. You know, you mentioned um, Veterans Day weekend, and that is this weekend. Yes. And, oh, you know, it, it gives us pause to think about, you know, we go about our daily lives and what's happening in places, unless you're watching the news, what you don't realize what's going on in the world and how men and women and dogs are really you know fighting for us keeping the world safe doing the, you know the most altruistic thing you can do and so i know from both of us just to say thank you to all these veterans i mean there's really no way to say thank you i just i feel like it's not enough I, I you know and i think the biggest thing that we all could do is support the vets when they come back um you know they're over there we're supporting them we're thinking of them there is a um really great website um it's called anysoldier.com and i, I just want to pimp it because I've done this a lot. I do it uh, often where, um, Troops overseas will, it doesn't matter where, whether it's a combat zone or non-combat zone, they will put on there just things that their troop needs. Um, Someone will be, you know, the volunteer for this, and they'll write down whether it's shampoos or soaps or DVDs or a football and just put down things that they want. And then, you know, you pack up a box and you just send it to any soldier and you put down who it is and it gets to them. And, you know, it's just one of many websites that do that, one of many organizations, but that's... A great thing to think about this weekend. Secondly, too, you know, also think about our veterans that are returning, um, helping them settle back into life. And whether or not they were in a combat zone, they still have been away from home, away from friends and family. And so there are organizations out there trying to help people get settled or help get help that they need if they have PTSD or, you know, physical injuries, things like that. So and then also our dogs uh, who are over there and we don't realize how many of them who are actually risking their lives and giving their lives for what we do. So for I would like to say personally, thank you. I just think it's, you know, the most amazing thing you can do for anybody.
2: Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for everything you've done for us. Um, and I think a lot of people still, we hear Afghanistan so much in the news, Afghanistan, and I think people become desensitized to what mm-hmm. our troops are doing out there. So, yeah, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, as we remember that everybody today on Veterans Day, uh, I really... I got very teary when I saw the, the decorated, the old decorated mm-hmm. vets at the parade yesterday.
1: Isn't that great? Yeah. You know, there's still um, descend. I mean, think about descendants of people, military families from, you know, all these all the different wars and how appropriately that this weekend, the movie Lincoln um, opened up this weekend and I saw it and it's brilliant. If you want to see an Oscar winning movie, it's going to, it has Oscar written all over it. It's Steven Spielberg directed. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. He's a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about this. You forget that you're watching an actor. You think, oh, there's, there's President Lincoln. Sally Field, who was not as big of a part of it, but when she was on there, boy, she was powerful. I mean, she, she's one of the best actresses I think of our of our time. And then Tommy Lee Jones. Oh my gosh, he is ridiculous, and and just he's so he's so scary good. I mean, everything about this, and it really makes you go back. And think about things you didn't like, for instance, the whole point is this, all this is, is the last, was it four months of his presidency, he was trying to abolish slavery. It's all about the 13th Amendment. That's it. And about how he wanted to get that passed. And, you know, obviously ends with his death. We know where it's going. I didn't spoil anything. He dies. But um, (laughs) it was a... It was a really great movie. So if you want to do something, you know, on this Veterans Day or coming into the, you know, Thanksgiving holiday, Lincoln, I definitely recommend it. I totally just took a left turn there, but I just had to tell you. No, it great. it's great.
2: I think we should change this from a dog po- podcast into celebrity news. Okay. What great films to go see. Because <laughs> you <laughs> know it all. I'm really boring compared to you. No,
1: you're not. Did you see Skyfall yet? No. Don't <sighs> ask me this, Holly. You see, you see
2: everything before me. you no. your brethren. I'm like the last person that goes and sees all. <laughs> these things it's terrible oh come oh, on man, he's it's
1: wonderful daniel isn't craig he?
2: oh i
1: know who's your favorite bond
2: i think he is really yeah look mm-hmm. i was I, I i kind of grew up with roger moore mm-hmm.
1: that was my
2: that was my first bond that i remember no,
1: really yeah not um not sean connery no He's my favorite
2: Bond. Yeah. Well, Roger Moore's not my favorite Bond, but he was yeah, yeah. the first guy I remember. I think Moonraker that freaked <laughs> me out. Jaws with his with his jaws, um, and. Yeah, but Daniel Craig, I think, and and they were saying that Ian Fleming wrote Bond to be this kind of compromised Mm -hmm. character, that he's not such a perfect man, that he does get bust up, that he does have demons, and that's how Ian Fleming wrote him, so Daniel Craig is personifying that.
1: He'd probably be my second, close second favorite, because just, I don't know, maybe pining for my youth with Sean Connery. But um, the interesting thing, I'm not going to say anything about the movie, but uh, this is that they're definitely setting it up to give you more about Bond and to start to delve into those demons. And I like it because we're starting to learn more about him as opposed to just watching what he does. And I, I love it. It's a psychological aspect of it coming.
2: So there's that film. There's also Argo. Don't ask me. I, haven't <laughs> se- I have not so seen good.
1: it. That's got Oscar written on it too. Ben Affleck. I have a new appreciation for mm-hmm. him. Want to see all of those three? Those are my top three, I would say. Have you seen Argo, too? Yes. See? Gosh. This is... (laughs) Really? Look at that. No, come on. I'll take you to movies. We and I will go to movies. But look,
2: last weekend, I was in Denver. Yeah. And I was at the bike conference. My Victoria Still Positively bike conference.
1: For the record the reason that you don't is because you are busy. <laughs> you are busy making a difference in the real world. I sit in a movie theater. You actually do things. Well, no,
2: I would say that you help out a lot too. Hello, with all the charity work that you do. But, but talk
1: about the bike conference. What You got a lot of great uh, leaders in the industry and people who yeah. are very prominent about this.
2: Yeah, Jim Crosby, Claudine Wilkins. We had animal control officers from um, all over the country there. We had trainers. We had uh, educators. It was It was a great conference. And a lot of people, again, I'll say it, as I said in my last podcast, was annoyed that we went to Denver because Denver has the pit bull ban. Mm-hmm. And no, I will I will celebrate the fact that I go to these places because if we can't just have an opportunity to educate the people there, I'm going to. Just because Denver has a pit bull ban doesn't mean I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to boycott the town and I'm not going to go. That's not even going to make a dent on it. I'm going to go and face it and tackle it and say, look. This is wrong, this is wrong. I think that what you're doing is wrong, and here 's why and i 'm going to give you the facts why mm-hmm. see i don 't think when you when you talk about facts of um, how many literally bites there are, what different kind of breeds how Breed specific legislation doesn't work. Um, you know, people, the, the lawmakers that actually make the breed specific laws don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. You could you could give them all the evidence that hmm. you have, and there is just bags of evidence. A lot of which we present during our bike conferences, and they just would they would just turn a blind eye. It's called living in the bubble. It really is. And but that's not going to stop me going. Hmm. I'm going to go. The importance of this was, and I think. The most defining moment of the whole conference was the half an hour, just incredible talk that Joey and Carrie Perk gave. Now, for all of you who want to know, the Liam J. Perk Foundation was established in memory of their son, two-year-old Liam, and Liam was killed by their Weimarana.
1: And that's important to note. It was Wine a Weimaraner. It wasn't a pit bull. It wasn't no. a Rottweiler. It was a Weimaraner, and
2: he was. It, was, it happened um, when he was just two two years old, just mm. a little above two years old. So sad. And it was it was an accident. It really was an accident. But they saw they they now recognized what those signs were, and Lloyd was exhibiting the Weimaraner was exhibiting body language which showed that he wasn't that comfortable. Uh, when Leon started walking, when he was a toddler and he started walking, became a two-year-old, a rambunctious two-year-old, Lloyd would go to sort of the door of the room and kind of turn his back to the child. Or he would just try and take himself out of a room and take himself off to his bed. Or he would do, certainly, sorry, the, the phone in our studio That's is okay. going. Um, he would, he, there were signs, he would lip lick a lot, sign of stress, mm-hmm. you know. Now they realize what these signs were. Now they realize it, they they can look back and go, we should have recognized those signs. And uh, there was no holes barred. They told us exactly what happened. They Mm -hmm. told us about their life leading up to Liam, about the amazing joy of the birth of their first son, the... um, joy of their two gorgeous dogs their two Mm -hmm. gorgeous Weimaraners their move from an active lifestyle to Colorado from Colorado and a lot of space for the dogs to run to Florida where the dogs were having a hard time adjusting Mm -hmm. and then they told us of what happened the event of what happened that day that evening what it was like how he tried to stem the blood from his son's neck and Mm -hmm. all it was Liam just ran past Lloyd quickly Lloyd just got him one very quick bite in and out and it cut the jugular thing mm.
1: so it really was an accident it this was, dog wasn't going after him and nope. attacking him it was just it was just it, like i've had enough
2: Oof. and boom and you know he they take they take us through that what it was like to be at the hospital the policemen coming the 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 surgeons that what it was like afterwards i mean there was not a dry eye in the house mm. you're having two people talk about the death of their child there mm. that's the reason why we're there You've got to realize that these kind of dog bites, these kind of fatalities, you're more likely to die in the bath than you are from a dog bite. Mm -hmm. You are more likely to die in an electric chair and be on death row than you are from a dog bite. But um, this unfortunately happened to them. It was a tragic accident and it's something that we need to address. So one death is too many. This year up to now, we've had 27 deaths from dogs, all kinds of breeds. And... One death is too many, especially mm-hmm. when it's a child. So, sorry, an adult as well, but I'm just saying sure. for a two year old, it, it's, it's yeah. incomprehensible. So, the Leanne J. Perk Foundation was established in order to um, bring awareness and education to communities throughout America and beyond. And it helps parents, dog owners, create safe and healthy environments for their children mm-hmm. living with canines. Mm-hmm. And if you want to find out more about it, we're going to post a link on the podcast page. But you also can go to the org, and you can find out all about uh, about what they do. They have the Let's Talk Dog Awareness Sign. So when you go on the page, go for that and, and find out more about that. And um, that's a sign that you can put in dog parks. You can put up in schools, mm-hmm. posters in schools, just telling kids, recognize the signs. Right. These are the signs. Right. The dog's uncomfortable that you shouldn't. And if a strange dog comes up to you, this is what you need to do. Right. So uh, Joey and Kerry are going to be coming around for our other dog bite conferences. And if you want to hear more and you want to hear them speak in person, then we're going to be having more conferences mm-hmm. next year. Certainly Great. in Miami, in Orlando, in Austin, Texas. We're going to be all around the country
1: and it's great i mean it's it's really about education that's what it is is understanding dogs and understanding your relationship with them and you know they're they're feeling animals they're feeling beings so of course they're going to have you know their moments and their reactions and it's our responsibility to understand that mm. we have to shoulder that burden they can't they can't speak to us and say i'm a little uncomfortable with your two-year-old can you please get him out i'm nervous i think he's gonna bite me he's gonna you know they can't say that
2: yeah and remember that yeah this wasn't a dog that was growling no. this wasn't the dog that was that was barking viciously this is a dog that literally had the subtle signs turn my, i'm gonna mm-hmm. turn my back to him i'm gonna leave whenever he comes into the room i'm gonna just little subtle signs so, anyway, after that, um, I had a lot of my wonderful Victoria Still Positive Dog trainers there too. And uh, thank you very much to Carrie Bastier um, and uh, from Wagon Train for setting this up. Um, it was it was an awesome event. And from Anne from Wagon Train as well for setting this up. If you want a trainer in Denver, please contact Carrie Bastier um, and Anne from Wagon Train. They are awesome. We also had some of my other Denver based trainers there Louisa Morrissey and Laura Brody. Then my girls and I and some of the other VSPDT trainers flew in and we all had a weekend up in the mountains near um, for a retreat. For your dog trainers? For for our dog trainers. Oh, nice. It was great. We went up in the mountains just to (laughs) get get a clear head (laughs) after what was a pretty trying day, but Mm -hmm. a clear head. And also to talk about the future of, mm-hmm. of what we're doing and what we want and how we're spreading the message about positive reinforcement. It was fabulous. So to all of you who came, to all of you trainers, you're an amazing, amazing group of people, and I'm so honored to know you.
1: And you did some, did you do some interviews while you were there for us? I d- us well, us? actually
2: I did. I went to, um, that was a little, that was, yeah, I know it's confusing, but it was a couple of weeks beforehand. I was at the APDD conference okay. and the association of pet dog trainers conference. Oh, okay. And I did some great interviews there. So we have one interview now and, um, this is Sue Sternberg. Sue Sternberg mm-hmm. is a trainer up in, uh, the New York state. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to meet with her. So, mm-hmm let's uh play
1: that right now okay we? yeah great
0: the positively hotline is ringing we
1: don't know what we're gonna do we have no plan we're just here
0: who's calling in this week after her like she's made out of ham
2: that is interesting that's exciting um is somebody
0: gonna answer that hello hotline ringing
2: you're on your phone and i don't think you're taking any of this seriously it's a phone. It's Victoria Stoll here. I am here at the APDT conference with the most amazing trainer ever. Her name is Sue Sternberg. I know you've heard of her. She is from the Roundout Valley Kennels up in New York State, and she's going to talk to me today. I actually had um, the chance to go hear her speak this morning on resource guarding. It was fascinating. It was eye-opening. And I just hope that more and more people learn from what Sue's got to say about this. Thank you so much for joining me today. And um, can you tell the people who are listening to this a
3: little bit more about yourself? Alright, so a little bit more about myself. I'm, I'm a dog trainer as much as I'm a shelter person. So I've been working in shelters and been working in dog training since 1981. And um, I am a, a student of temperament. I study the the behavior and body language of dogs to help trainers and to help people in shelters. How has, have you seen
2: the sort of, the, the have you seen it change in the years that you've been working in shelters? Have you seen it change? Are there more dogs being surrendered now? Are there less? Are you seeing a change in behavior?
3: A change in the home environment? There's definitely a change. Um, I started in the um, 80s and it was, there was just way more dogs, way more overpopulation. And so, in a lot of areas, you'd see uh, litters of puppies. Litters and litters of puppies come into the shelters. And litters of puppies are the indicators of overpopulation. When somebody can't find homes for puppies, you know that there are more dogs than there are homes. You rarely see litters of puppies today. Most common dogs to end up at a shelter are adolescent or adult dogs. Um, they're not markers of overpopulation, they're markers of the economy or of problem behavior sometimes in the dogs, um, or a financial crisis with a family. Um, we're seeing a lot less dogs today. It still all seems full and overwhelming because shelters are simply holding the dogs longer. Years and years ago, they were holding three days and euthanized, or five days and euthanized or 48 hours, and so shelters, the length of stay is increasing now. and that, that brings up all sorts of problems quality of life that are not being properly addressed. There are lots of people out there
2: that think, and I'm really not from this school of thought, and I get criticized for it, that no dog should ever be put down. Once a dog goes to a shelter, they, people like the idea of no-kill shelters. And um, what happens is that dogs are being warehoused, sometimes for months, sometimes for years. I've been at shelters where dogs have been there for four, five, six years.
3: What do you say to people like that? It, we're definitely in a no-kill uh, mentality, and that sounds good on the surface. What it sounds like is that we shouldn't be euthanizing a nice dog for you know, arbitrary reasons. The truth about um, what goes on is you say, well, what do you do with a dangerous dog? What do you do with a dog that shouldn't be out in your community, that is going to maul somebody, literally maul somebody, um, or you know, hospitalize a child, or kill somebody, or kill your pet dog? There are dogs that should not be out in our community. There are dogs that simply are not pets. They're outside that range. They weren't bred as pets. They haven't been raised as pets. And now they end up in a shelter, and people think we can somehow churn them out as a safe pet. Cannot be done. Um, and when you, when you say, well, they're dangerous dogs that, you know, no matter how good a trainer you are, you can't make them viable, then you say, well, what do you do with them? Do you keep them in a kennel, in a shelter cage, the rest of their lives? Because you're talking... Life, lifetime, interminable amounts of time in, in a kennel, and when you look at it through quality of life, and you ask, well, how do you deal with the behavioral, emotional, and mental health of a shelter dog who's there for the rest of his life, because he can't go in the community, cannot be rehabilitated, then the, the no-kill issue takes on a different tone, and then you're like, well, you know, is that life better than death? And of course we don't know, we don't know, except I'll tell you that I've been traveling to shelters since 1994. I have seen way more cruelty to animals from within our country's shelters than I ever have from the general public. That is a devastating statement, it is the truth. And the length of stay for shelter dogs is increasing um, as time goes on. I would absolutely agree with you
2: there. Again. I, through my work am able to travel and go around to see a lot of shelters film a lot of shelters and it, it's very distressing because even though these animals are getting food and water and they have shelter their men- mental enrichment needs and their physical activity it, it's just not been taken care of and it's 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 awful to see these dogs going through what essentially looks like to trauma yeah.
3: it is trauma and I, I've, I've been to no-kill shelters um, who are now in a dilemma. They're like, well, every single one of our cages is filled with a dog that's been returned multiple times, has bitten people multiple times, and they're realizing they can't keep adopting him out. And he's bitten and mauled people who work at the shelter. So they're like, well, what do we do? I'm sorry. The euthanasia is not the enemy. Um, We have made it into our enemy. For some dogs, it is not the worst thing that can happen to them once you understand that they're not all fixable. They're not. But
2: there is this whole idea in this country and and in other parts of the world as well that every dog can be fixed. Every dog can be fixed and no dog should be put down because of behavioral issues such as aggression. And it's out there. And there are not just, and we're not just talking tens of people, there are thousands of people that actually believe it. And so if you do have, for example, on one of my shows, I had a cocker spaniel that mauled a child five times and scarred that child for life. Um, And when the, the dog was put down, I was called a dog killer. And I had all kinds of people that wanted to come and kill me um they saw the child the child speaking on television showing her scars and yet they still thought that that dog should be rehomed now you i know as well that you also get criticism for for saying that yes some dogs are unworkable and some dogs should be euthanized how do you deal with that criticism how do you deal with what i essentially think and believe and know
3: is ignorance All i tell you it's very hard and i um it, it's it's appalling to me how cruel people can be to people in the name of thinking that we're being cruel to animals. And um, again, you know, I think once you've really seen, seen a dog who's suffering every single day in a kennel environment in the name of no kill, the dog is aggressive, multiple bites, violent, low thresholds. These things are not curable. And you're not talking about the dog is in a home, there's no kids around, there's a committed owner who will manage the dog. Even then it's not curable. You just have to train somebody to try and sequester the dog into success. But um, these are dogs that don't have a home yet. Who's gonna take this dog? And who wants the liability of you know, putting this dog out there? I will not do it. And I um, I don't think euthanasia is the worst thing that can happen to a dog, um, And um, and yet, for doing it and for making that decision very carefully making the decision I have been threatened uh in every single way I've been called horrible things I've, I've been um people as it's obviously happened to you say that um I should be euthanized and it's just it's um there's some lack of humanity there there's some there's a it's a cruelty i don't think you can be that cruel to a human and be kind to animals i think being kind and compassionate with animals means you are kind and compassionate with, with human beings um, and when that when that goes awry it's deeply disturbing i was res- very much respected what you
2: were saying with the resource guarding um today um can you tell again those listeners what is resource guarding when we say we use that term all the time, but for people who might not know exactly what it means, can you explain it?
3: So resource guarding is a term that we use when a dog um, uh, finds certain items valuable, like either food items, his food bowl, a bone, a a certain toy, a ball, or his owner, or maybe one owner in a multiple owner household, um, where the dog finds any of those things so valuable that he would use aggression to protect and keep and uh, control access to that resource. Most commonly, you see it around food, um, bones that are chewed. Dogs will often guard um, the dishwasher with all the loading it up with the dirty dishes, dishes. Dogs will guard things that they can't eat fast enough or get, and if there's competition for it. You frequently see one, a dog who will guard one uh, partner in the bed when the other partner gets up to go to the bathroom. They won't let him back in the bed. They like to guard um, beds, uh, sleeping areas, resting areas. Some dogs will guard parts of their body like don't touch my feet, don't touch my neck or my ears when I say so. So I think it's one of the most common forms of aggression. You can have dogs that are competitive and guarding who don't use aggression to do that and that's really what we would want. You know, it's okay if you don't want to share your um, your bed, but maybe, you know, groan and, and move off and complain, but don't, don't as a dog, don't pull out a knife and threaten or don't slash your owner for it. We, you know, the best pet dogs have aggression thresholds that you'll never see that, you know, it's hard to, to push them to the point where they, they get um, protective over something or use aggression, but it's very common. Um, it's hard. It's easier to manage than, it, and it's harder to absolutely fix. Although a lot of dogs don't don't go to a dangerous level with it. You know, they just lift a lip or you know get annoyed, but they don't do anything huge.
2: What a lot of people miss is the physical signs, isn't it? Dogs' body language if they're actually communicating, and you know, unless you're Sue Sternberg or Victoria Stillwell or a trainer, or you really, really know dogs extremely well, you're going to miss this really vital body language this language that this dog is trying to, s- to communicate to you can you tell us some of the s- more subtler signs that p- probably the average person wouldn't know about
3: yeah, there's tons of signs, and if somebody can show them to you, every one of us could see them, but if nobody shows them to you, you just you don't notice things until the dog's actually flying off the couch at you or whatever, but some of the signs to look at is when a dog shows the whites of his eyes, he's usually stressed, uncomfortable, or, or guarding something, so when you see the whites of the dog's eyes, you need to slow down, back off, and assess how's the dog feeling, what's going on, and what are you doing if you're approaching too fast or invading. Um dogs who will guard something, uh, let's say they've got a bone and you're approaching, they will often look up at you and then quickly look back at the thing that they are guarding. And um, that's a common behavior and a good one to spot. Freezing is a really common behavior and freezing when a dog gets still, and it might just be one part of his body, he might just freeze his head um, and show the whites of his eyes or freeze his whole body, that's usually the warning right before He's going to growl but when dogs freeze most of them are simply trying to communicate hey back off now or i may have to use aggression so if you can understand what he's saying and back off um you can avoid aggression it's one of the reasons why children are most commonly bitten by resource guarders they don't read any of these signs and so the dog's are giving warnings everywhere but he ends up biting a child now i've seen
2: videos i've seen film of um even supposedly knowledgeable trainers seeing very overt signs but having this whole idea that the dog mustn't win and they these trainers become extremely confrontational, very violent and then the
3: dog bites them. If we can learn anything from dogs, when two dogs are interacting, um, almost almost never do they resort to violence. You'll notice one dog might get angry at another or threaten to bite it. The other dog almost always gets completely still, neutral, looks away, and waits until the other dog has calmed down and then retreating. Dogs don't think of their interactions as combat or dominance or power or, you know, when you're interacting with dogs, it is not about who's gonna win or lose during that interaction um and especially with aggression your goal with aggression is to keep keep that dog from pulling out his knife and his gun and and firing it at you and when he pulls out his knife or his gun it is not the time that you go at him to overpower him whatever you got to say look this situation is lost he has hit an aggression threshold my dog is about to be violent don't fight if you fight with the dog it should be as a last resort because the dog is literally bringing you down and trying to kill you and that is so rare when a dog is aggressive, you do not counter it with aggression. You don't fix aggression with aggression. Um, you fix it by um, cunning and understanding it, and trying to manage it if you can. Um, no, we, we should stop confronting dogs, and we should stop looking at our relationship with them as a, as a win or lose. It's not a game. It's not a competition. It's a partnership. It's a cooperation. Yeah, but that doesn't
2: fit the whole kind of machismo kind of way that we have certainly here in the United States and in other, and in other countries, does it? Yeah. But doesn't it make for sexy t- television when you see man battle with dog and man wins and dog is submissive? I mean, we love that in our culture. We don't particularly, but people love that because they don't know any difference.
3: Yeah. Can you explain that? Um, I, I think what people love is the idea of a quick fix, a big blowout confrontation with some quick resolution and tv can make a dog behavior problem look like in half an hour it's edited down to a final product and in in the in truth of dog training and behavior modification first of all very few owners have the time to do all the tedious amounts of work needed to move a dog's threshold to to make him better and um and there's nothing glitzy or sexy or um, you know um, slick about what what real dog training and real dog behavior is like it 's slow it 's tedious it 's a tremendous amount of time and work and then um, and it is never a quick fix. The, most dogs are not cured; they are better, and you learn to communicate with them better and you learn to compromise on some of the the triggers, but it makes for boring tv and and you know i i i have four dogs i am their leader i am their guide i'm their mentor i am their role model and i protect them I, i take care of them i take care of their needs i certainly will say no if they need to hear a no but um i am not a dominatrix i do not try to overpower them we are in a partnership together and it is of mutual respect they don't they don't dominate me, they don't come at me, they don't use physical force on me and I won't do it on them.
2: I think you said the word leader, I mean obviously there's another word out there, pack leader, which makes me laugh really because hey you're not a dog, you're not part of the dog pack, you're a human, a dog knows that you're a human, you're different from them, Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can't be a leader, you can be the kind of leader that can influence behavior in your dog without the use of this confrontation and force and this severe punishment. I also believe that you need to give discipline, but discipline to guide your dog into making the right choices, into setting your dog up for success rather than this domination. Um, And it was interesting because what, what you were saying when I started my show, which was in late 2004... I started my show I was all about oh this is going to be so exciting I'm going to show people how to train their dogs in a more in a positive way I was I used more sound aversion when I first started which I don't use anymore but that's as far as I would go and um, and then very quickly I realized that's not what the producers wanted that's not because to sit down and watch the whole process, A, you're going to be there for hours and hours and hours, and B, how boring is clicker training? How boring is clicker training to watch for hours and hours and hours? So I learned very, very quickly. And then I had this whole people coming up to me thinking it was done quickly. So then I had to go, okay, on my show, this is a long process. I'm giving you the tools. This is how you start. We're going to come back and see where you've got to, but this is work in progress. This is going to be a life thing. And, and so I learned, but it, uh, I learned the hard way, I think. And so I'm really glad you said that because I think it's really important that people understand it's not a quick fix. Yeah. If you had one thing to say to our listeners, what would it be regarding dogs in a relationship?
3: Dogs will respond and behave for those who are the most fun and if you can show your dog that you provide not just all the safety and and um, the pleasures, but that you are fun to be with and are a good guide, they will do anything for you. If you're not fun, if you're not sharing uh, your all your fun things with your dog, you're not hiking with him and taking him for walks, and if you're not his best, most fun partner, um, you will not get any respect, and you will—they will not follow you. That's what being a good leader is: just being a great person to your dog.
2: I think you really hit the nail on the head because if you want your dog to follow you, it's a
3: relationship based on cooperation and not domination. It's a—it's mutual respect, honor. We must learn more about how they communicate so we can read them better. They're studying us all the time. They're trying so hard to learn what we want to teach them. We need to learn what they are trying to teach us as well if people want to know
2: more about you you i know you talk all around the country people want to come to a talk and i would absolutely advise every single person who's listening to this podcast please go and see this lady talk she's not only i mean she's very funny while she talks too she tells great stories great anecdotes but you see amazing video and and you really get it you know you really get it so um where should where should our listeners go to to find out more information about the talks that you're doing and about more information
3: about you um, you can go to www.greatdogproductions.com. They, have a, uh, they sell all of my videos, DVDs, um, my um, dog park app, um, clothes and stuff to make you look good when you train your dog. And uh, they're going to take over and have all my schedule. You can also email me there um, and get a hold of me um, and find out where I'm going to be and what I've got available. Sue Sternberg, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much, Victoria.
0: Hey, you got something on your mind? What are you a wizard
3: and genius?
0: How do they make a miniature? I mean, is there some way or some process they they physically miniaturize the dog, or is it a puppy, or what what the devil is going on?
2: That's a really good question. I've got my work cut out for me here.
0: Next time you want to know something. Can you repeat the question? Why don't you ask Victoria? She's, She's the, the expert with, with this kind of, kind of stuff, stuff, you know. Uh, you obviously don't part. know my
1: dog. Just, Just ask
0: Victoria.
1: All right, so our segment on getting everything we need to know out of Victoria's brain for our dogs. And actually, I'm going to kick this off because I actually have an issue and I need help with. So here's the deal. I have two dogs. Uh, They're both about 80 pounds, six and a half, seven years, almost seven years old, six years old. And um, my next door neighbor has a dog who's about two and a half years old, and she's a little Cavalier King Charles. One of my dogs, you know, is a pit, a bully pit. Pitbull mix. The other one's a black and tan coon hound. So my white bully pit is a digger. She used to dig out of the yard, but she hasn't dug in a long time. Barnsley is not, he'll dig every once in a while. I know that when they are out and back in the woods in the back of my house, they may dig a little bit out there, but they have developed a, uh, th- they've created a lovely, probably two foot by two foot hole right in the middle of my backyard. Now, Perhaps there's a Sharpe long distance in China they're trying to reach. I don't know. Um, I know that the Cavalier is an instigator with the digging, but I also know that my dogs will dig over it and they keep all three of them have their noses in there. The problem I have is I put dirt in there to try and, you know, to, to fill it up and they kick the dirt out and it's killing the grass around it. So it's making the problem worse. So what is going on and how do I stop it? I mean, right now we're in the winter, so you can't really plant grass. I figure in the spring, I'll fill it with dirt and then put a piece of sod on it so that maybe they don't see the dirt and see the fun they've had in there. But until then, we've got many months to go and that hole keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, and God knows what they're going to find in there or what's going to take up residence or whatever. Plus they come in and they're all dirty. So I need a little help about Preventing them from digging and a fix or, you know, at least an aversion. Do they... Is it on the hill or is it on the flat on surface? On the flat surface, right in the middle of my backyard, right in the center of the grass. So
2: they've designed a pretty hole there. Oh. And Winnie... Is the Cavalier King Charles that keeps on coming over, doesn't she, for yes. play dates? and she's a digger. She goes underneath the fence. She's dug a hole there to come into our yard to play with my dog. So she's the one I get, bet, that started it. Yes. And so they're just all following. Yes. Now, if she's a digger, why is she a digger? I don't know. Is she a, is she digging just because it's habit, because it's fun to do it? Has she heard something down there that goes, all right, got to get to this? She doesn't mm. sort of strike me as a kind of that sort of dog. But... I think, obviously, she's the one who started it. So, Mm -hmm. number one, you could say, stop her from coming into the yard. When you stop her from coming into your backyard, you're going to get rid of the problem.
1: Yeah, the only problem with that is, I do, she's a sweet dog, and she plays with my dogs a lot. And so I love the fact that, you know, she'll come over and entertain them, and it's a friend coming over. It's like a play date, and... It's good for our dogs. So okay. we, and we love her, so we don't mind that. But I do, you know. To
2: paint the picture here. Yeah. You're,
1: you're next door to each other. So <clears throat> yeah. Your neighbor's
2: next door, uh, who you get on very well with. Yes. And Winnie, the Cavalier King Charles, brings herself over <laughs> for play dates. She does. By coming underneath the fence yeah. into your yard mm-hmm. on a regular
1: basis. Yeah. She was over this morning, yeah. So it's
2: not like her, her owners coming to drop her off no, for she, a play date.
1: Honestly, we think she thinks she lives in both places. I we honestly think that this is she thinks this is her house too.
2: Okay. So you fine, don't but- want to stop the actual source of the whole
1: digging coming into your yard. I mean right. I, I understand that because that would be a shame that They couldn't play together, and she does – I mean, because she Mm. and one of my dogs, you know, Cashmere especially, they run around the yard, and they're very active and playful together, and it's good exercise for them, and it's mentally great for them. So even if I prevented her from coming over herself – Whenever she comes over, she's going to do it. So what I want to know is in hoping in the spring, I can fill it up and put sod over it. And that would stop because is it's the not hole a temptation. still there now. Yes.
2: I think you've got to do something to block them from getting access to that hole.
1: Like what if I, so, so just put a massive rock in there. and Something. Stop it. Yep. Stop okay. it. Boom.
2: Like that. So if it now is winter time when the grass is all dying anyway, mm-hmm. do you have that special type of grass, which
1: stays it's, green it's or
2: fairly green? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, now, now, yeah, put a rock in there. Okay. Block it up. And let's just see if they, uh, okay, they start somewhere else, either on yeah, or else. You see, that that's going to be the issue. Keep an eye on. Okay. S- you don't want her to start another hole somewhere else. Ah, you see, that's the only thing. <clears throat> so here, oh, I, I, I it tell it her, me, I'd Yeah. I'd I love playdates,
1: but they'd have to be supervised. Or that's playdates in the house. Yeah. Okay. All right. I can do this. I can do this. I just, yeah. All right. (laughs) I'll accept it. All right. Let's move on to someone else with a problem. (laughs) This is Anne James from Upper Hunt. Let's see. uh, Upper Hunt in New Zealand. Oh, no, I'm Upper Hut. I'm sorry. Do you oh, know Upper where the Hutt. Upper Hut is? I know, yeah, no. Do I know where that is? <laughs> I don't know. I've never been to New Zealand. They've got a familiar accent of yours.
2: Gosh, if somebody <laughs> wants to if somebody wants to do, have me down to do a talk in New Zealand.
1: I'll come with you.
2: Please, please, because we really want to go there. I really want to go
1: there. My, my grandfather's family's from there. My grandmother's family's from Australia. Well, then you so. need to
2: go. I know, I'll come I with you. I want to go to Australia too. Done. I have so many people asking me, please come, please come. I will oh, come just set up a talk
1: and I'll I'll come. I'll introduce you. I'll be your uh in, I'll do your introduction. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, you can re- do the CNN reporting. There we go.
1: <laughs> okay, this question says, "Victoria, I live on a farm and have a German shepherd who is now 3 years old. He is very aggressive towards the other farm dogs even though he's the youngest. I have trained him from the time I bought him home, but at times he yet will not listen when he is off on a tangent." That is that is it. He does not hear me. What can I do to get him to listen to me? Cheers, Anne. First of all, I had to read this twice. Today. Is this a dog or a child or a husband? I'm not really sure that doesn't listen. So it's a three-year-old German shepherd who's aggressive towards other dogs, okay. doesn't listen uh, when he doesn't want to.
2: I'd like to know how many other dogs that they have there. What sexes are those dogs? And has he been neutered yet? See, I don't know whether this is the... New Zealand, like Britain is not as, they don't spay and neuter as much as we do here in the mm-hmm. United States. Maybe that's the same in New Zealand. And so it doesn't matter whether he's younger. Mm-hmm. He, if he's an unneutered male, he's a young male, he's going to try it on, give it large, <laughs> be controlling. And aggression, again, so many people think aggression is, all oh, the dog's trying to raise his status within the pack. Well, most of the time it's a dog that is controlling. Controlling access to resources, controlling access um, or to reproductive access. A, a lot of it is that. So I'm saying, do you have females on the property? Are those females fixed or not? Because that can be a, a lot of cause of aggressive behavior between dogs. Competitive uh, competition over resources of any kind.
1: Could it also be that dog is insecure, like my dog who is a little aggressive, it's yeah. because it's an insecurity that he's like trying to be big man, like don't mess with me because Yes, it is. It's,
2: look, when, you, when you're talking about controlling behavior or dominance, I mean, I, I, the dominance word has been so misused for so long and so misunderstood that I, I like to use the term controlling behavior more than dominance because, mm-hmm. you know, dominance in dogs is not so much a character trait as it is a relationship, a social relationship between animals and really the social relationship between animals is all about safety and survival and all about competitive or primary access to resources that are going to help your dogs be safe and survive. That's just pure instinct. Mm -hmm. So for example, if a dog is having a bone is eating a bone, it will guard its bone Mm -hmm. from anybody else coming near it because that is needed for survival. If a dog is guarding a location, that is needed because that is needed for its safety and survival. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So it's less about dominance and I am going to establish rank over you. It's a three-year-old male. Maybe the male wants to be top dog. That's that's the whole idea, the sort of the old idea mm-hmm. of why dogs are aggressive. But really, the more studies we've done, the more we found out that actually it is all about, yes, it's competition, mm-hmm. no doubt about it, but it's competition to be able to have access to what you want. Plus, there's also an anger component component in aggressive behaviour too. So are other dogs frustrating him? Is he getting angry? Is it um, uh, is it play that's getting that they're getting too aroused and the the play is overstimulating the dog? I mean, if the dog's on a farm, then I would think it's leading a pretty active lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that I can suggest is that um, depending on how far the aggression has got or how intense it is because dogs play roughly and sometimes people can s- think their dogs are being aggressive and actually not being aggressive at all they're just playing roughly mm-hmm. but if your dog is wounding other dogs if your dog's having a scuffle yet no dog has come up without a scratch that's more of just sibling a rivalry uh, and that's a that's a little that's an irritation mm-hmm. that's an argument but if you come to the point where dogs are actually hurting each other and putting each other in the veterinary, then there has to be separation. Mm-hmm. Now it just might be what people don't realise is when they have multi-dogs in a household, you have chosen the friends for your dog. Your dog hasn't chosen its friend. Mm. So you your your three year old German shepherd might be fine with other with some other another mix of dogs. But not just with this mix of dogs just doesn't gel. Like we don't as people get on with everybody. Do we not everybody we meet we find people we want to be with and there are people that we don't want to spend any time with and it's the same with dogs. So it might mean actually if you're getting to the point where the dogs are aggressing to the point where a dog is being sent to the veterinarian where there does have to be either separation 100% of the time or rehoming.
1: Okay, good to know. Um, This one is from Carol Smith in Portland, Oregon, and she says, Hi, Victoria. We got a four year old Australian shepherd earlier this year, and we think his previous owners must have been older people because whenever my two kids or my husband roughhouse a little, he jumps, barks and acts like he will bite them. How can I stop this? Thank you so much. He's joining Carol. in the
2: game. If yeah. you're roughhousing with your kids, jumping, barking, he wants to be part of the game. Simple, simple, simple. The solution, don't roughhouse in front of him. There you go. That's it. Okay.
1: And it may not necessarily be older people, it may just be... No. That- yeah, it could have been He anything. could have been with another family that
2: roughhouse mm-hmm. and did exactly the same thing. So it's a learned behavior. But he just gets excited, it, 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 you know, and then sometimes they'll get overly aroused and then they use the teeth and yada, yada, just
1: roughhouse somewhere else. And play with him in a different manner. Exactly. Okay. This is from Heidi in uh, Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. And she says, my parents, mother and stepfather have large dogs that fight while in the house. They live in a tiny double wide and both dogs fight dealing with jealousy when one dog receives human affection before the other dog. The fighting scares the household and creates stress for the family. Sometimes in my family, we'd get angry and try to beat them until they separate them. I don't want to be judgmental because I think they react out of stress. We really don't want the dogs to get hurt as well as the people. Can you help give us a realistic solution to our situation? And I know what you're going to say here. Well, here again,
2: this is about competitive access, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And um, jealousy over a person. And it, it is. When you think about it, when you stroke your dog, your dog has lots of lovely, pleasurable feelings. They mm-hmm. feel comforted. They feel safe. They feel great. There's pleasurable endorphins going through their bodies. The stress levels going down. It's great. You don't want that loss of pleasure. Mm-hmm. You see that your important person petting another dog. That's loss of comfort, that's loss of safety, that's loss of pleasure. So then that again is competition. And fights will occur when two dogs in a household or three dogs put the same emphasis, the same importance on that particular resource, which is that particular person. So here's a little difference. If the fighting's got really bad, you've got to do the separation or rehoming it mm-hmm. uh, just because you're you're uh, and people say oh but you're just taking the easy way out no i'm not Mm-mm. i'm reducing stress for these animals that have to live 24 7 with each other that don't want to be with each other and so they're probably better in another household however um i've also taught dogs in a household that are not killing each other right. i've also taught dogs to tolerate the other one being petted so mm-hmm. what i'll do is that i will say let's take Archie, um, who did I do this with, Manny and Archie. So Manny is in a sit and stay when it's um, Archie's time. And I say Archie's time for petting. So I'll put Manny sit and stay, now it's Archie's time. Then I'll put Archie in a sit and stay, Manny's turn or time. And both dogs learn that when I say Archie's time or Manny's time, that's a time that the other dog has to go into their space to settle when I'm giving the other dog affection. I've taught a lot of families to do that with their dogs, and it's worked really, really well.
1: And if, uh, if, if one dog is sort of fighting, not fighting back, but if one dog is being restless and they're not so agreeable to go into their sit-and-stay, Would you bring one dog into another room and do and give them their own time in their own room?
2: Yes, I would. Uh, You know, separation is fine. Separation can sometimes make dogs a little bit more frustrated. But I also would, I would also walk the dogs together. Um, I would have great things happen. um, When one dog enters the room, I would, um, treat the dog that I'm with mm-hmm. and then treat that other dog as it comes into the room. So both dogs see their being together as being a good thing rather than a negative thing. Walking is such a great, pleasurable exercise. I would take them to agility class, doing agility side by side, activity side by side, all of that kind of stuff to say, look, we're, we're a whole team. We're a whole group of people and dogs together, having fun together. And... But as I said, if dogs are wounding each other, then mm-hmm. it's got to a point where it potentially has gone too far. Now, if you've got a dog fight going, if we've got a dog fight and don't get in there, please don't get in there. Get a blanket, throw it over your dogs. Or if you're outside and there's a hose, you know, put mm-hmm. water on your dogs. Just if you get in there, you are going to get bitten.
1: And what about, you know, your first reaction would be to scream, you know, yeah. stop at the dogs. Does that sort of No, it doesn't. More? And of
2: course, look, I've done it. We've all done it. When you see a dog fight, you, you suddenly go into survival mode and you, you make a lot of noise and you mm-hmm. jump around and it's really difficult to, but no, because it's almost like you're, you're feeding the fire. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why now when I see dogs fighting, I will, I'll take them off my jacket or whatever I have on to a point or i'll get a blanket or something near me and throw it over the dog soon as you as soon as they can't see anything you'll find the dogs separate if they're not doing it you get a chair put it put the chair don't hurt them but sort of put them on top of them put Mm -hmm. the chair in between them or get a divider something to divide them don't put your hand in there you will get bitten
1: okay how about um Stacy from Salisbury, Maryland, and this question is, do you have any books on dog training or training dogs? I'm I'm taking dog training classes with positive reinforcement being the method, and I'm looking to know all I can. I want to be able to be there for my dogs in the most effective and gentle manner I can. Thank you. And I love this girl. I don't know who she is, but I love her attitude and her approach. So, yes, you have. Yes,
2: I do. It's Meal the Dog, How to Have the Perfect Pet and also my new book which i'm so excited about which is coming out march 2013 Yay. train your dog positively awesome I love it. buy them and you can actually pre-order my new book on amazon already so
1: look out for it it's a cooker i love it and before we go because we are now long-winded here um Briefly, Hero uh, Hero Dog Awards aired. It was great. Your daughter, Alex, was on it. Oh, my gosh. She was on. It was so fabulous. I was actually out
2: that evening that it aired, but she watched it with her babysitter. And, oh, Mm. she was there. Uh, I didn't care about seeing myself. I did a a tribute. uh, I presented a tribute with Ricky Behrens, Mm -hmm. the swimmer that we talked about and uh, I didn't, couldn't give a rip to doo about watching that. I just wanted to see <laughs> Alex that I saw, and I also saw my husband, Van, too. He just looked very, very smart in his tuxedo. He hates wearing anything like oh, that. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, yes, T-shirt and jeans all the time, so I have to dress up in a tuxedo. <laughs> but there was Alex. It was so cool. The Aww. next day she went to school, and all her friends were saying, and her teachers, mm-hmm. we saw your you She was very embarrassed. It was great. I love the American Humane Association. I love them. I love them. I love them. <laughs> And I hope this award ceremony, the Hero Dog Awards, happens every year. But the Mm. American Humane Association, please look them up. They do so much good work, not just for animals, but for children too. Please donate to them. They need your donations for all of the incredible things they do. We'll put um, their link up on our website. Uh, It's already up there, but we'll again link it to the podcast. And please support them
1: with everything that you have. Fantastic. All Thank right. You. And uh, next week is Thanksgiving, so we have a lot to talk about, and we'll talk about what we're thankful for. So until then, happy dogs. See you later.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stillwell's Positively Podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook as Victoria Stilwell, or follow her on Twitter at It's Me or the Dog. This Positively podcast has been brought to you by Pets Ad Life, who encourage you to get a pal for your pet. Visit PetsAdLife.org or the Pets Ad Life Facebook page to learn more. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively.